Leon and this is K11 Conversations, a podcast where we discuss the intersection between creativity, culture, and innovation in line with K11's social mission to incubate talent and propagate culture. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Carl Pei, founder of one of today's most exciting tech brands, Nothing. Known for its stylish Ear One headphones that have gotten approval from fashion heads as well as audiophiles, Nothing is about to release its next product, the hotly anticipated Phone One. Carl and I discuss how to build a brand where everything is designed together, the current state of consumer tech, and the parallels between building an engaged community around nothing and the current excitement around Web3. Here's Carl. So Carl, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to be here. In studio. Amazing experience to be here. Let's just start with uh, what sparked your interest in tech? I can't really remember, but I do remember that I was always really interested in the latest stuff. I got the first iPod in school out of all the kids. And it was so annoying back then. Like iTunes didn't exist. You had to install like real player. Oh my God. And uh, shouts to dot RAM files. Yeah. It didn't support USB. So I had to install like a firewire PCI oh, board wow. into my PC to just connect to it. Yeah, I had the first iPod, had the first iPhone, the first Android phone. I guess just a nerdy kid. Well, it sounds like you're not you're an early adopter by nature. Mm-hmm. Is that only apply to tech or does that apply to other forms of design and aesthetics for you? Mostly tech. Lately I've been looking a lot at the web3 stuff, so I guess compared to the general population, it's still early, but compared to the crypto natives, I'm a little bit late. I've been like more and more into streetwear as well, but I wouldn't say I'm on the bleeding edge of any mm-hmm. of those. Then when you say you're into streetwear, you know, one of the uh first people that I saw with nothing headphones was Aerosmith Hue of Acronym. You know, he does his product shots with the maglock yeah, yeah, on yeah. the collar and I saw the headphones on there. And then of course there was the OnePlus collaboration before. How did you guys meet? He has such like an interesting array of friends, right? Cuz yeah. they have William Gibson, I think Henry Golding, the actor as well. They're like mates from school. Yeah. And then of course to have, see you guys, you're wearing an acronym track jacket here, right? For yeah, the yeah, Nike yeah. collab. So it's, it's always interesting to see how, you know, these dots sort of connect. I don't remember how we first met. It was through somebody else. We did explore a collaboration at OnePlus, but we never released it. Some of those ideas are implemented in the ACES. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so that's why I had to check it out. Yeah, Henry Golding also found out about us through Errolson, through his Instagram feed. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he reached out a while ago. So it's, it's pretty interesting that all the dots are connecting. Yeah, Errolson reached out a while ago when he saw our product. He's like, hey, can I secure some? Because it was really hard to buy in the beginning. We sent him some to use in the photo shoot. That's something that you know I feel like the Ear One has in common with a lot of streetwear sneakers and now NFTs and Web3, right? Is they were so hyped when they first came out, you know, when you gave the talk about the phone launch, the number of headphones you guys have sold is astounding, right? It's like something like 500,000 in its first year. Yeah, We're now over 500K. It's quite a lot actually for a startup company. I think I said at the launch event that, uh, you know, the first iPod did around 400,000 and Mm -hmm. they were like a big company back then. So we're really grateful that the market has kind of embraced our company and our product in, in the way it has. So leading up to nothing, Tell me a bit about your time at Nokia first and how you ended up there and any learnings you learned at the company. Yeah, I guess I was just a really annoying kid. 
like technology. My uncle worked at Nokia. I was like, hey, can you pull some strings? Get me an internship. So yeah, I worked with marketing and product. In hindsight, I probably would have been really annoyed if a kid like that showed up next to me. Just gave suggestions like, hey, why didn't you do this this way? And just asking a lot of questions, you know. Spend a summer there. Yeah, that's about it. But I feel like those are the types of kids now that we need more of those voices. That sort of natural enthusiasm for, well, why don't you try this? Right? Because I feel like that's part of the ethos of nothing. Right? And we'll get to that. Because I think one thing that stuck with me is you talked about how a lot of products now have gone from innovation to iteration. Yeah. It's quite boring. I think me and the team were all like quite disillusioned by how things are going in consumer tech and just by talking to consumers as well. Maybe that's why we resonated so well. Like recently, we did a community funding round, but taking a step back is pretty crazy. Like we've only made a pair of earbuds and people are investing to buy, not the product, but to buy shares in the company. We made earbuds and we kind of shared some ideas about what's wrong with industry and how do we want to change things. So I think our message or our observations are definitely striking a chord. Well, in some ways, that's indicative of today's modern consumer, right? Where it's not just about the product. When they buy something, they're buying into something, rather. They're buying into the brand. They're buying into what the product represents. And we'll get to like how the brand, the product, and the software have been all designed in tandem very mm-hmm. intentionally. Mm-hmm. How does that draw people into the world that you've created? I'm really inspired by Tesla. I think they're really trying to make the world a better place and trying to accelerate mankind's adoption of renewable energy. And I think they genuinely want to do that. So releasing a car is just you know one step on the way of doing so. Making their patents available for other car manufacturers to use also helps them on that mission. I think that's the type of company that's interesting to build, but also interesting for consumers or communities to, to form around. Like you don't want to be a fan of a company that just wants to make some money on a product that's good quality and cheap. Really inspired by Tesla and that you should have a grander vision on how your participation in the industry will change things for the better. And we try to take that learning with us when we built nothing or are building nothing. Obviously, Elon Musk has a cult of personality, and so does Steve Jobs and Joni Ive at Apple. You're stepping into this sort of paradigm, right? There was a podcast recently, an Android podcast, that posited you as the next Steve Jobs. I'm wondering what's your take on that and the idea of someone like yourself, the founder, becoming intertwined with the brand moving forward. I responded to them on Twitter. I said, I'm no Steve Jobs, just trying to do my thing. I think every period of history has great people. Everyone is different. I think I'm quite different from those you mentioned. And we just started. We're on the very, very beginning of our journey. So I don't know if we're going to be able to step in those kind of shoes, but Mm -hmm. we're going to try our best. And the reason I I talked about that is not to make any sort of comparison, but to talk about how you talked about Tesla. For me, the fact that Elon Musk can not only have Tesla, but be such a brand where he can Mm. sell flamethrowers to fund tunnels. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. That's amazing. I think for me... I'll do whatever I need to do to have the company take off. But long term, I don't think it's something I want to do to be like a popular spokesperson. Rather, I think if the company works even better without me doing that, Mm. it's a much stronger company. If you want to build a company that lasts for generations, I think the ultimate product is the company. Right. It's not you as a spokesperson. Mm -hmm. How did you arrive at the name Nothing? 
I had a lot of other names and uh, I made a list in my mind. There was a period of time where I was back in Stockholm and taking a lot of long walks with my sister. Actually, I tried to get her to jog with me, but yeah, it's hard to get her to jog. So it became long walks. We started talking about naming for my next company. Every name that I mentioned was cringe to her. So eventually I just got upset and I was like, hey, I'm just going to call it nothing. I don't want to keep brainstorming. She's like, yeah, nothing. That's really cool. Please call it nothing. That's how we got to the name. But I think in hindsight, the reason why we chose it is because it's really funny, easy to remember, but also says something about the future that we're looking to build. If technology is so easy to use, then it kind of fades away. Mm. Like the light bulb that we use every day, we don't think about it. It's such an ingrained and natural part of our lives. Right. So we hope to build tech products that are also like very intuitive to use, simple to use, and eventually fade away. It's funny too, because in some ways, nothing products are the answer to what to get for the person who has everything, right? How do you create something like an earphone, but make it so covetable? Not because it's sold out, but because of the design and things that are built into it, that it becomes desirable. And so I want to talk about the smartphone, because you just mentioned how nothing was sort of brilliant and how tech should be accessible mm -hmm. by the masses. And to me, you know, there's nothing more luxurious than the cracked iPhone, right? And so... <laughs> How would you like to revolutionize a smartphone medium and where did you start to see the opportunity? Was it at your time at OnePlus? No, actually, after leaving OnePlus, I didn't really know what to do for a while. I thought I was going to take a long vacation, at least half a year. I traveled to Greece. I traveled to Italy, South Italy, one of my favorite locations, but it got boring very quickly. Every day was the same, super good weather and great food and beautiful hotel rooms. And like after two weeks, I was like, I can't do this every day. I went back to Sweden and started networking with the other entrepreneurs, started learning from them how to raise money, like how they went about it, what's their strategy. I think our opportunity and our strategy is more like emergent. It's becoming more and more clear. We're still on the same path as in the beginning, but everything is becoming a lot more vivid and a lot more clear on how it's going to be actually brought to life. I think the huge opportunity that we have is that Apple is too successful. And that's great for their shareholders, great for their market cap. But once you're everything for everybody, you're leaving some of the needs unfulfilled. When they were a startup, when they first came to the market, they were facing very intensive competition in the PC industry. All the PCs looked the same. Mm -hmm. They had the same software, the same hardware, and just a different logo. Everything was very similar and boring, very, very much so like today's smartphone industry or consumer tech industry. And they didn't try to be everything for everybody. They had their tribe, the creatives, and really focused on meeting their needs by getting the creatives on board. Because these people are the culture makers. Right. Once the culture makers are on board, then things become a bit easier. The brand becomes cool and instead of trying to push people to buy your product, you kind of create this halo and pull effect into your brand. But because Apple is so successful today, they're not really speaking to the creatives anymore. So a new opportunity emerges mm -hmm. to do so. And that's what we're going to do. If you look at the market, there's a lot of companies that are pretty big. It doesn't make sense for them to target a small community like the creators. Right. If you look at the entry hurdles to the smartphone industry, they're so high that there's probably not going to be a startup after us trying to attempt the same thing. So it's pretty much like a no competition situation. That's how I think about it. Yeah. 
I want to applaud you for how you've constructed the brand, right? Because I want to talk about how you came to the conclusion of the dot matrix font that characterizes what nothing is, how you define it as raw technology and human warmth. So when thinking about the DNA of how a brand looks and comes to life, how did that come together? To be very honest, I'm more like a coordinator, finding great people and making people work together, making sure they understand each other and there's enough money to make things work. Here, I've actually learned a lot from Jesper, who's mm -hmm. the CEO of Teenage Engineering. They're one of our founding partners. I would say he's like the best creative visionary I've ever had the chance to work with. So a lot of these things, they come from him. And it's a really interesting relationship we have because I like to think of myself as somebody who's kind of hard to please and has mm -hmm. a lot of opinion and hard to work with sometimes. But I've never had a situation working with Jesper where I've been able to give any comments on the work because if I gave comments, maybe the work would become worse and not mm -hmm. better. And so that was super refreshing. He's got so many great ideas and such a great creative vision. But before meeting me, he perhaps wasn't able to bring that about in a very big way with the funding, with the supply chain resources, with everything around that to make it really big. So I think it's a super interesting and synergistic relationship that we have. Now, speaking of that synergistic relationship, how did you come up with this idea of creating this brand ecosystem, right, that you talk about where the software, the hardware, and the brand are all, you know, designed in harmony? Yeah, I've been thinking about building brands for many, many years. And I think the conclusion I have is that a brand is not something that the marketing team makes up. It's not a story. A brand is like the accumulation of everything you do as a team and every touch point that the consumer has with you. It could be your advertising, but that's only a small part of it. It could be your entire e-commerce experience, it could be your service experience, your unboxing. When people listen to this podcast, what feelings that evokes. So it's everything. Naturally, every touch point, including software, has to be routed through one coherent vision. I think typically in companies, there's a lot of silos between teams. So the product definition team might just define the specs of a product industrial design team might just make a design they feel is beautiful. And the marketing team has to make up a story to sell all of that. I think for us, if we're all, you know, have one common vision, one creative direction, it becomes something much better. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the fashion brands work like that. You know, you have a new creative director come in and every operating team has to follow that one direction. And in many ways, what you're talking about, right, is precisely what Apple lost recently, right? There's a whole book about it by Trip Mickle. I think it's called like how Apple became a trillion dollar company while losing its soul. There's an article in New Yorker. I think it's a 2013-2015 profile on Yoni Ive. But the star of it is this guy named Bart Andre, who's obsessed with speaker holes mm. and how they look. And I'm just wondering how that acute attention to detail and really that empathy for the UX and the end customer affects how you think about the next step you'll take with product and design and when something is ready. It's a balance, especially when you're in the smartphone industry, because it's a cutthroat industry. The vast majority of teams who have tried have failed in the past 20 years to create a smartphone or a company that makes smartphones. So on one hand, you have to balance the perfection and only ship things that you're truly proud of. But on the other hand, you need to reach scale very quickly. And it's also kind of like selling fruit it rots very quickly because it's a tech product. You have tech specs and there's always new components coming out. So unless you move it quickly at a high volume, it's not gonna work out. 
if you're taking too long. So it's a balance between speed and perfection. So you need a very strong team to pull it off. A team that's not only good at the hardware and the delivery, but also at the creative, at the design side. I think that's why so few teams have been successful in this space because every part of the chain needs to function at a high mm -hmm. level. If you're making an app, you don't need a lot of the functions. You just need maybe UI, UX, and a great product, a vision, and some software engineering. But this is like full stack. And as we've gotten more and more into you know, software becoming the moneymaker more than hardware, and frankly, hardware becoming less covetable, what do you propose we can do to make hardware the star of the show, in a sense, again? I think it doesn't need to be the star of the show. It can be an important part of the show. I think a healthy or a great company has hardware, software, and services. It's true that more and more hardware is becoming just like a canvas for the screen and it kind of not being that important. I mean, that's why we're here. We think it's quite boring and we want to bring products that balance the engineering, the raw tech, make it more visible so you can't hide. The internals have to look just as good as the externals, but also bring more of that human touch, that analog feeling, the human warmth back. On our ear one, there's a dimple there. It's pretty fun because you can play with it like a fidget spinner, but it's also functional because it serves to hold the two earbuds down on the two sides. So balancing the fun side with the functional side, that's what we're trying to do. Are you a fan of David Rudnick? He has the Tomb series. He's an artist, graphic designer. He did hand-drawn drawings of like hard drives that oh, yeah. were seen. I, in like I the, met him together with Errolson back in the yes, day. Yes, they had done a yeah. collaboration. And so what you're talking to me about, it, it reminds me of his work. He plays within that uncanny valley between the mm -hmm. physical, digital, like the fact that he launched an NFT series and then did it as a book, I feel yeah. like is part of what you guys are trying to build in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really like his stuff. It looks really cool. When I see things like the dot matrix and that part of branding, and I think recently when you talked about the sound design in the phone one, mm -hmm. Channeling everything from Morse code, oscillators. How does yeah. that interplay between like the past and the present sort of define the future for you? We like to take inspiration in the past because we want to find expressions that are more timeless. What I mean by that is I think a lot of consumer tech companies, they just copy Apple. Apple does something and they copy. And that's cool because you take less risk. It's already proven. Consumers know what to expect. But on the other hand, it makes you look dated because if you're copying an Apple product in 2022, then when consumers see your product two years later, they feel like, oh, it's a 2022 product. So we want to take inspiration from the past. Like we looked a lot, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the name right, but Pierre Cardin, mm -hmm. French designer, his clothing still looks kind of modern today. You could kind of wear it today. It's a bit off, but still modern. It's hard to place him in any period of time. So we have the insight that we have to get away from the Apple design language if we want to create more timeless products, not just like physical design, but also sound design and feature design. There was a vibe when you watched like the video for, um, you know, the truth. There's like that segment that's very like retro futuristic. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to know more about the kind of cautious optimism displayed in there, right? If you watch that video before the launch and your intro, there's this dark layer of this protagonist not quite fitting into this utopia. And there's sort of like this dystopian layer mm -hmm. to it. So what was the story you guys were talking about there? Because it seems like it's talking about creating a system but not feeling quite comfortable within this predetermined system. 
Yeah, I think that was us trying to explain the current world as it is, as we see it. There's a perfect kind of almost utopia world run by Apple. Everything works quite well. Everything is beautiful. But there are some, some problems. For instance, we had the scene where everybody was playing some game mm -hmm. and it was all blue and somebody green tried to come in and didn't work. Or every product looking the same or things being kind of top down and uh, not taking community input. I think these are all things that we can contribute in changing. Like, for instance, why is iMessage a thing? Right. Why can't it be a thing from a legal perspective? It's building a necessary moat, I think. In some countries, especially Western countries, young kids are feeling uh, social pressure to conform to the blue bubble. If you don't have it, then you're not like, you're, you're not ostracized. Cool, right? Yeah. Who's ruining the group chat? Exactly. I also believe that because of where we are in history, the internet has developed so tremendously. There's really smart people in all corners of the world. In the past, they might have been in Silicon Valley, but now you can, even if you're on an island somewhere, you can still access MIT Open Course. If you're interested in something, you can become an expert on the internet. So why can't we work with our community in creating these great products mm. and experiences and not just do the top-down model like everybody right. else? Well, from the jump, you know, you're quick to address that your products, in a sense, are designed for the real world, in that they're designed to play well with others, right? And you mentioned Pierre Cardin, we talked about acronym, and I feel like there's an analog there in fashion, mm -hmm. where to me, some of the best designers, their work can be worn but still recognized when you wear it with not their work. Mm -hmm. And so is that something that you guys are cognizant of as you're going into product in that people might use this with AirPods, people might try to use a different operating system? Super open to that. In fact, we're trying to build controls into the Nothing OS for the AirPods, but unfortunately, we can only build a display for the battery level and the connectivity because, surprise, surprise, it's really hard to build controls on Android for Apple products. But in a way, I think it's kind of unfair because the consumer has already paid full price for the AirPods. Why can't you use them on the Android products as well as on iOS? Mm -hmm. On the recognizable part, we really wanted to build a ecosystem of products that all belong to the same design family. I think apart from Apple, if you're looking at any other brand and you put a bunch of their products on the table, there's no consistency. Hide the logo and you're not going to be able to tell it's from the same company. So we wanted to revert that and we wanted to create our own vision of the world where you put our products together, you don't know who made them, but you know it's one coherent vision being brought to life. And that's really missing, I think. There's only the Apple world. There's no alternative world. I think that's also interesting in that you just launched the beta OS for nothing OS and you successfully managed to make the non-physical feel and be a reflection of what the brand is. How did you come to that conclusion and what were some of the learnings you had when making this new OS? On our OS, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We don't want to try and rebuild Android and all the features and functionality that Google has already built. If we were to try, we wouldn't do as good of a job because they have so much resources and so many great engineers and designers. So we started to think, you know, what can we actually do? And because we're building this open ecosystem of products, what we can build on is the connectivity between the products. So I mentioned the AirPods, but we're also building some connectivity for Tesla owners and, of course, our Ear One owners to better use all these products in unison. On a design level, we just need to make sure that the hardware, the software, the sounds, everything feels coherent and consistent. So that's what we tried to do. We brought some of our dot matrix typography into the OS. We made the sound really feel uniquely us, kind of 
very technical, but also with a spark of fun. Without revealing too much, I think that's what we did. Now, what you've revealed about the phone is just the one image of it. What can you tell us about how that relates to it when it releases later this summer? We just dropped a teaser the other day where I think you're referring to the strips, the white strips. And we dropped a teaser the other day where a ringtone was uh, in sync with the lights. So that's another detail. It's on our Instagram. So you can take a look when you have time. Absolutely. We were talking about Web3 earlier Mm. and how, you know, obviously you've got a punks as your Twitter avatar right now. What do you think Nothing's Place will be in the new Web3 ecosystem? And how have you sort of discovered a different side of yourself in Web3? I think Web3 is super early and most people in Web3 are just speculating. I think a good analogy is Amazon Mm. and the internet or Web1. Amazon never said, hey, we're a Web1 company. Instead, they leveraged the internet to give people better selection and better pricing for books to start with. I think a lot of teams today in Web3, they think about Web3 as an end to itself. Hey, we're a Web3 company. But that's meaningless to most consumers. Like, what's the benefit? Amazon deliver better price, better selection. What are the better products or better experiences or better services we can deliver using some of these technologies? And if you look at the internet, like all these tech protocols and phrases, they fade away, right? Mm. So like, you don't talk about, oh, this page uses JavaScript or this has like Ruby on Rails or any of that stuff. But today the Web3 conversation is still there. What are the protocols? What are the infrastructure things? Like who cares? Like from a consumer perspective, they don't really care and they don't understand and they're scared and there's a lot of scams and there's a lot of speculation. So I think our value is how do we leverage some of these technologies and create new meaningful experiences or new services that actually are beneficial to the consumer? How do you do community Well, that's management? the analogy I was going to make, right? Yeah. I feel like there's a parallel in the way that you've managed to activate the Nothing community. And then you look at the discords and how many NFTs have wildly enthusiastic members about a trait. Yeah. Okay, cool. You're excited that your NFT has a wing that is a rare trait. But what is the value in it in the real yeah. world, right? What is the emotional connection other than the rarity or the commodification and it's interesting to hear how you're already thinking about, well, how do you build on that connection in a way that is real and actually feels more futuristic than just rarity? Yeah, so we're already thinking about how to use some of these technologies, including NFT, to manage our community, to gate access to certain things, to give different perks to our users, and also to incentivize certain behaviors that are beneficial to the overall company and the overall community, like referring a friend or uh, giving us great product feedback. How can we reward people and include people through these technologies? I think that's one part. But ultimately, think about the smartphone. It's actually the biggest platform in the world. One and a half billion smartphones are sold every year. And even as a startup company like ours, we can quickly reach a couple million annual shipments in volume. And that's crazy distribution for some of the creators out there. So if we have this really uh, cool uh, distribution vehicle, how can we create uh, a platform or different platforms or different types of creators to share their work with the world. I think that's kind of what we're thinking about. What can we offer the creators? What can we offer the consumer? And how do you make it easy to understand and intuitive? We say we want to remove barriers between people and technology. I think this technology, it has a lot of ingredients to cook something really nice, but we need to be thoughtful about it. It's easy to do something very short term. 
a lot of it is a one-way door. If you make a mistake, it's kind of hard to dial back. Now, early on, we, we brought up something that you said in the launch keynote about iteration versus innovation. And I wanted to know how you define what innovation is. Innovation is creating something new that doesn't exist and something useful to people. I think it's that simple. Maybe it involves taking risks sometimes. Sometimes it's not going to work. I think because uh, how competitive the smartphone industry is, a lot of teams tend to take the safe route. Hey, let's look at all the products out there. What's selling well? What's not selling well? Let's take the one that's selling well and then let's change it a little bit. Change it 1%, 5%. Let's just ship it. It's going to do well. I think that's the thinking that led us to where we are today. In fact, if you look at iOS versus Android, Android is losing, slowly but surely losing, especially among the youth, especially among the, like, the cultural savvy people. And all the Android folks are just making products that look like each other's products. So they're just taking share from each other. Meanwhile, Apple is gaining ground. It's going to be hard to convert a lot of iPhone users, but I think we can convert more iPhone users than other Android OEMs. We were talking about phone one versus the iPhone, and I feel like it might be the phone that gets me to make the jump or at least adopt a second phone, which is something I've been thinking about for a while. And this is something you've done as a 15-year Mac user recently. You made the jump to PC based on the strength of the design, correct? Yeah, I also really wanted to play games. Mm. I didn't know that Age of Empires wasn't compatible for Mac, so I bought it on Steam and then was like, oh, I can't install it, so let me just get a PC. But I have to say the experience is more clunky than the Mac. It's bigger, heavier, and I think I still use Windows 10 on mine, so I haven't tried the new 11 yet. Maybe it's better. Mm. But let's talk about the PC that you did have, right? It's an Aerosyn collaboration. Mm -hmm. What drew you to it? And is that sort of the hope with nothing where you know, you have hardware so visually compelling that it makes people envision like this lifestyle where this fits into how they want to express themselves? I think it's definitely a part of the appeal. I bought it because I really love Aerosyn's work. It's been like 15 years since I haven't tried a PC, so I just wanted to see what's going on and, and then play my game. I think for nothing, design will definitely be an important factor. But we're a tech company, so design is not enough. We can't just ship a product that's beautiful. It has to have technical innovation. Mm -hmm. I think increasingly also do good for the world. I think the environment is in a very risky place. So I think this is an area in which we want to focus as well. Amazing. Carl, thank you so much for taking some time out to speak. Yeah, thanks Super for having me. Super excited to uh, see what the phone looks like when it launches. And congrats. Fingers crossed. K11 Conversations is brought to you by K11 Musea and produced by Sonia Manalili and hosted by me, Gian DeLeon. Stay tuned for future episodes. 